0: How is the digital revolution affecting your business? I'm Julian Birkinshaw, professor at London Business School and host of the Digital Transformation Briefings, where we discuss the consequences of the digital revolution for businesses around the world. Today's theme is, should your company be investing in machine learning technologies? Joining me to discuss this are Professor Nikos Sava, a colleague at the London Business School and an expert in data analytics, and Gabrielle Straub, head of data science and data architecture at the BBC. I recently checked on LinkedIn to look at the hot job categories for 2017. And right at the top of the list are data scientists, experts in machine learning, artificial intelligence and so on. The trouble is for most of us, these terms are a black box. We have a sense that computers are getting smarter. They're beating humans at chess and Go and so forth. But how they are doing this and how these new technologies are likely to affect our companies and our own jobs is unclear. Let's try to demystify these terms, first of all. Nikos, my dictionary says that data science enables me to extract knowledge from large bodies of data. Give me an example of how that works.
1: Uh, thank you, Julian. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I agree with you that data science is a bit of a black box. Uh, so, so let's uh, take this opportunity to try to shed some light on it. So, so I think data science is a generic term that describes the methods used by smart and quantitatively trained people to scrutinize data in order to do more than just extract knowledge. And let me give you a couple of examples that I've seen in practice. So so let's take retail. So so in the past, uh, a store manager at the end of the day would have to manually fill out forms with what inventory they would like to have delivered to their store in the next few days and they would have to hand-deliver these to the headquarters for this to be fulfilled. Now, data scientists have taken over this process, and they go through tons of data, including past sales in multiple locations, to try to identify trends, seasonalities, patterns, and they're also using data such as weather forecasts, to try to predict what demand would be, identify sort of new uh, demand trends and so forth, and uh, fulfill the store ordering uh, process in an
0: automated way with very little human
1: intervention.
0: And so essentially they're making the entire process just a whole lot more efficient, and so that it adapts more effectively to the situation that you're in. And and what about on the customer side? Are we Uh, seeing...
1: Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing a sort of a complete revolution of how customers are treated by companies. Uh, So in the past, companies would offer a marketing strategy that would work well on average. Now, with the advent of data science and uh, digital economies, data scientists can know a lot more about you through your browsing activity, your friends on Twitter, what news articles you read, and they can offer you, say, ads that are targeted to your interests. And as a result, you might find this content more relevant to you, more likely to use it, and maybe a little less annoying.
0: So, and all of us who use Facebook or whatever, we're baffled by how clever it seems to be at giving us recommendations about things to read, things to buy. And behind that, I mean, we're annoyed by it as well, let's be clear, but but the fact is, behind all of this there's there's some very clever data science going
1: on. Exactly. And, and I think both of these examples you know, have three things in common, if you like. I, I think the first is that they evolve making more precise decisions, uh, more fine-tuned decisions, if you like. The second is that they evolve going through sort of substantial amounts of data in order to make these decisions. And the third is that they automate a manual process and they make it more scalable and more efficient. And I don't think you need all three in order to make an impact with data science, but when you have all three, that's the opportunity.
0: Okay. So, Gabriel, um, machine learning. Um, I mean, I, intuitively, this is hyper-clever computers. They are somehow figuring out things from themselves. What, why is that different to the basic statistical manipulation of data that's gone before? What, what, what's new here?
2: So I think it's not black and white. So it's not that you had analytics beforehand and now you have data science. I think there's much more of a continuum. So if I build on some of the examples that Nikos gave us, you can imagine a store ranging situation where I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to put in a specific supermarket. Back in the days, what used to happen is I used to decide on a range. So I used to decide on a product selection. And then six months later on, I would do data analysis. So I would look at which products would sell, which products didn't sell so much. And I would then adapt for the next six months what kind of products I would put into my store and what quantities. And that's the analytical approach. So it's very backwards looking. It's trying to understand what happened. And sometimes it's trying to understand why did it happen. In the data science world, you can imagine a store that continuously figures out whether or not it has the right inventory. So we're getting rid of averages, we're getting rid of these business cycles or planning cycles. Instead, we're kind of making much smaller adjustments continuously. So every day I'm going to check, is my expectation of how much I'm going to sell of the specific product the right one? If it's not, how do I adjust it by giving it a bit more space or a bit less space?
0: And you're using hyper clever computers to do this in a way that would just simply be impossible using human intervention, are we?
2: Yeah, so if I, I used to work at Tesco beforehand, and we have about 3,500 stores across the UK. And you can imagine that there's no way that someone can make all of those decisions for all 40,000 products in all 3,500 stores. So data science for me is a lot more about the so what. So if analytics was about the past and trying to understand and explain why it was, data science gives you a massive opportunity to tell you what you should do about it those things that you've just found out about the past.
0: So let's dig into what you do at the BBC. Um, Just a a sense of scale first. Roughly how many people does the BBC employ worldwide in these fields of data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence?
2: That's actually a really, really difficult question to answer. Um, Part of why it's so difficult is coming back to this thing around there's a continuum between analytics and data science. So part of the questions are how do you define a data scientist? Um, I think the second reason why it's difficult to answer is because there's more and more tools that already contain machine learning that you can yeah, buy off the shelf. Understood.
0: But are we talking hundreds of people? I mean, give us a sense. I mean, is it thousands? I, I...
2: So the, total, the BBC has a total of 20,000 employees yeah. um, out of those 3,500 work in technology. Um, I would say proper data scientists, you probably only have a very small proportion of those. Uh, it's something that we are building. So I've only been with the BBC now for five months. And my job is to build up a central data science team that
0: can actually enable the rest of the BBC to be a lot more data driven. Understood. So help us with what these people are doing in the context of the BBC. In other words, what what is the problem they're solving? I I watch TV. I watch David Attenborough talking about the Blue Planet. Um, How does data science help me to watch a better TV show? So we are using data science in multiple places. One
2: of the places that you kind of are starting to talk about is recommendation engines. Right. So as you are on iPlayer, we will understand what you've been consuming and, and enjoying in the past. And we will use that kind of information to give you a more personalized experience. And Kind of what's really interesting, given that we've been talking about retail and media, it's almost there's a very similar shift in media. We talked about linear programming, so sending something at you mm. basically via TV or radio. Now we're going much more towards on demand. In retail, there was the same thing about offline where kind of there's an average and now you go online where there's a much more of a personalized experience. So I think a lot of where machine learning becomes or data science becomes important for the BBC is around how do we create a more engaging experience for you. So how do we create a BBC that wraps around your life right. rather than having you change your life in order right. to consume the content that we So in
0: the case of the BBC, obviously we don't have advertising as such, which is good. What I do have is an opportunity to get a much better portfolio of BBC products to watch on demand, you know, immediately available to me. And presumably behind the scenes, you're also making things more efficient in the way that Nikos was talking yes, about. Yes, of course.
2: There's like lots of other areas. So one of the things that we've been exploring is when do credits start, trying to understand when do credits start within a video, because actually when we understand that, most people do not really want to watch the credits. So that's maybe a much better point to give you a recommendation for new things that you could watch after this than waiting until the end of the program. But actually, the way that that data gets created, it's not automatically in the data. So it's not automatically associated to that clip. So you actually need to figure that out using some sort of machine
0: So We've talked about the benefits. We've touched on some of the darker sides or concerns here. Let's dig into those a little bit. So, you know, we live in an era of of fake news. We live in a, in a world, if you like, where we're very worried that the, the Googles and the Facebooks of this world are actually somehow putting information in front of us either that we don't want or that might even be completely untrue. I mean, to some degree, what's happening there is we're allowing these these analytical engines to kind of take over. Is that—is that right?
1: I think that is right, and that is a concern that, that many people have, that, that in a sense by automating the process of making recommendations, store ordering if you like, yeah. we've taken the human judgment out of the loop and many people find this frustrating and perhaps a little bit uh, threatening yeah. and and I would agree to some extent with it. So I see two challenges in a sense broadly speaking and they both have less to do with data science per se but more to do with us human users of data right. science. Right. And the first is the classic uh, sort of problem that uh, is, you know bad people would do bad things in a sense and data <laughs> science enables them to yeah. do them in larger scale in a more sophisticated yeah. sure. manner. So, so, so I mean A classic example, I think, is the company targeting ex gamblers with gambling ads. I mean, that's probably not a good use of personalized targeting. I mean the second challenge, and perhaps this is a little more worrisome, because there's no bad intention behind it, is that we as humans do not understand the limitations of data science and we tend to rely on data science recommendations too much. And, for example, if you take credit scoring, one of the first Mm -hmm. applications of of machine learning and data science, this is designed to work well on average. Mm -hmm. But because the algorithms are proprietary and sort of a black box that not many people understand, it's quite possible that somebody will be given an unfairly low or maybe unfairly high score for that matter. But but because nobody understands the system, it's very difficult for them to challenge the score and have it uh, corrected.
0: Gabriel? In the context of the BBC, I mean, obviously you worry, as we all do, about these analytical engines, these machines, as it were, taking over, you know, running off, I mean, the concept of machine learning makes a few people a little bit scared because, there's, you know, if you watch the movies, we believe that they're going to they're take over the world. How do you guard against those concerns? How do you get the right balance between machine learning and computer input and also making sure that human advice and human sort of context is is appropriately kind of linked to that
2: i think we have the incredible benefit that we have almost a 100 years worth of editorial experience we have very strong editorial guidelines that tell us how we should be creating stories how do we assess whether the source is true how do we keep a balanced view or a multi-biased view of the world and i think that's one of the benefits that we have compared to lots of other tech companies so we already have something in place around these guidelines that give us something around how we should behave I think one of the things that will be more and more important when you start rolling out algorithms, and that's not just for us, that's for anyone who wants to do ethical machine learning, is to constantly ask yourself the question, what could go wrong? And what could go wrong for which person? And it's a bit like that used to be something that you were supposed to do in data production anyway. You should constantly worry about where could that data lead? What could people do with that? And maybe it's just a more extreme version of that. You should ask yourself, Okay, if that algorithm kind of goes a bit wrong, what could be the worst that happens out of it? And for some of it, if we're just changing the size of maybe a video on a, on a web page, it might not make any difference. If it makes a difference in terms of what news I serve you, maybe then there's a bit more of an issue and I need to think about that a bit
0: more carefully. So one of the hot issues today is this notion that the Facebooks and the Googles of this world have become too big and too powerful. And they have ownership essentially of our customer data and they are using it in ways that we didn't actually really sign up for. So... Let's just explore this. I mean, obviously, there are laws around data protection, but they're not very strong laws. I mean, I am always signing away my data. How, how do you ensure, as the BBC, I mean, you've already touched on this, but how do you ensure that, that you use data about me in ethical ways?
2: So I think there's one thing that's coming into place next year, which is the general data protection uh, regulation, uh, which is an EU regulation, but the UK is currently drafting a data protection bill um, that will make sure that this will stay in place even after we leave the EU. And I think kind of, even though a lot of it is very similar to the data protection regulation that's been in place for 20 years, I think it... Just because there's a lot more talk about it and the fines are much higher, it will put data protection much more at the heart of the users. And I think kind of that will make a big difference. So you almost need to turn that around. And we're hoping that consumers will be asking a lot more questions around how do you use the data?
0: And should we putting a price on this? I mean, when you know, Facebook has all this information about me, that's valuable to them because obviously they're essentially selling a whole lot of advertising on the basis of that. Should I be pricing that? Is there a mechanism to do that, Nikos? I think in
1: many ways it's already priced, Julian. So implicitly the agreement you have with Facebook or with Google for that yeah. matter is that they will offer you a social network or a search engine for free yeah. in return for your data. Yes. So <laughs> the, the whole business model is based on a price that's perhaps not monetary, but it's a service that they provide for free.
0: And I get that. And I also worry at the same time that they are then becoming far too big and too powerful for their own good but that's a conversation for another day let us finish by just taking it back to this issue of the skills and even the kind of careers that people are going to have in your field so you know advice to a bright young 25 year old graduate of of london business school obviously there's lots of jobs out there what sort of skill sets do these people need to get a job working in your department at the BBC? Yeah.
2: So generally there's this discussion that a data scientist is a mix of three different areas, or so it's a Venn diagram where you have mathematical understanding of the algorithms, you have the ability to program them so they can be used at scale, but you also have an understanding of the context itself, because the context will allow you to understand and evaluate whether the results that you get actually make sense.
0: Right, and, and, and it's this ability to interpret and make sense of data, of course, which ultimately... Is, is, is the power of that data. Nicholas, you, your views on that? I mean, how do, we, how do we ensure that we don't lose the human touch, the context, when we, when we get, spend so much time bogged down in data? So, so in fact,
1: I think the biggest challenge is, is not really understanding the data and turning the data into useful knowledge. It's almost the opposite. It's understanding the business context and the business problems right. that data science can help uh, solve right. or, or improve or, or fine tune and uh, translating almost the business problem into something that sort of an experienced data scientist can run with and produce a solution and then taking this solution and putting it back into use, sort of the real business context, and then implementing an almost feedback loop where the solution is continuously improved, its scope is widened, and uh, its applications uh, find more and more uses. And I I think uh, for for the 25-year-old graduate of the London Business School, I would very much advise to try to position themselves in that space. The person that understands the business context well enough can translate it into something that the data scientist team can understand and provide solutions for, and become the that implements the solution back to to, to the organization.
0: And is there still a role for intuition, gut feeling in this process? Because obviously the data is going to take us so far. But, you know, my hunch is that a lot of really successful executives use intuition. And of course, intuition doesn't just mean they're making it up. Is there a role for intuition in in the BBC?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think kind of creativity is just as important in data science as it is in lots of different areas. A lot of the time, it's around how do I phrase this problem in a context that I can actually use data science against it? And actually, bringing together lots of different ways of thinking is really, really helpful in that. So, when I build my teams, I tend to bring people in who have a background in bioinformatics or in chemistry as well as astrophysics in lots of different ways because they have different ways of tackling the same problem. And if you bring all of them together and give them the opportunity to discuss what could be done with that. I think that's where their creativity and intuition then comes out of.
0: Yeah, I think it was Alfred P. Sloan, the founder of General Motors, who said along the lines of, you know, the final act of business judgment is always intuitive. In other words, you can use all the data you like, but ultimately... The reason we have executives and the reason we pay them well is because they have to make judgments which are not completely you know, locked down in terms of the numbers.
2: And the world is uncertain, right? right. And, and data science is a probability game. So I'm always kind of trying to get the best optimal outcome on average or across kind of the what could happen. Right. But and sometimes you need to bet against the market. Sometimes you That's need right. to bet against the numbers because... The return, if you get it right, will be much, much higher. That's right. So there is, I think, that aspect as well that sometimes it's good to go against the numbers.
1: Intuition is great. It's a great starting point, but it has limitations. And uh, you can view data science as a way of testing intuition. It's a way of formalizing intuition and fine-tuning intuition, and even extending it to areas where our past experience uh, doesn't sort of, you know, allow us to have intuitive answers.
0: No, I'm I'm always... Reminded of a company like Amazon, which obviously has huge numbers of data scientists. But then they make these leaps into the Kindle, into movie making, which no amount of data could possibly help them to, to come to. So, as you say, it's going to be a combination in the future. And the best, smartest graduates need to get that combination of skills in order to succeed in the future. Let's close here. Thank you, Nikos and Gabrielle, for a fascinating discussion. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to know more about London Business School's programmes, including a programme Nikos teaches on called Exploiting Disruption in a Digital World and one that I teach on called Making Innovation Happen, please go to the London Business School website, london.edu.